Hey folks, welcome back to the DC Three Cast. I am Brian. With me, as always, are Zach and Vince. Welcome back from the dead, Vince. We uh, we appreciate you returning to the mortal realm for another episode of the podcast. Mm, thanks. Good to be back. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get started with talking about uh, the comics that were released on the fifteenth of August, twenty eighteen. We're going to start with Aquaman, number 39, part two of the Sink Atlantis storyline. Uh, this is the um, the crossover we've all been waiting for. The, uh, you know, just the absolute pinnacle of, uh, of our hopes and dreams. Written by Dan Abnett and Rob Williams. Illustrated by Joe Bennett. Um, my first note here is that while Joe Bennett is certainly not the same artist as the past couple of of uh creators in the book have been i'm sort of surprised how well his style feels like this era of aquaman story does that make sense mm-hmm. like it, it, it he he manages to adapt reasonably well to what aquaman stories have looked like for the last year or so and i was reasonably impressed with his work even though i think there are a couple of really really awkward panels here uh, I thought overall Joe Bennett did an all right job. Yeah, I feel like we've seen Joe Bennett a lot, mostly in Deathstroke yeah. recently. Mm-hmm. And this feels a lot different than Deathstroke Joe Bennett. Yeah, and I, I think to me, I actually prefer the Deathstroke Joe Bennett to this. But I think Brian's point is tr- correct that it melds in a little better with the style of Aquaman that, that we've been accustomed to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't disagree that this is not the best Joe Bennett, but I'm impressed with how it feels a piece of what we've seen from uh Sayik and, and crew since uh, issue 25. Yeah. That double page spread of, of all the planes coming in on Atlantis out of the water is, is pretty nice. That's it's very pretty. That's like the third page or something. Yeah, mm-hmm. but uh, but yeah, Aqu- Aquaman's mustache looks oddly kempt in this issue compared to the rest of his facial hair, but that's a, uh, <laughs> a very very small point. So, what do you guys think of this of this story arc in general? Now that we're two issues in, uh, <laughs> I like I like some of the additional Suicide Squad characters, uh, like Satanus. Um, that, that Satan anus. Satan anus. Thanks. If I if I didn't get the joke the first time, the certainly the third or fourth time that Harley said it, I I got it. Um, it's 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 a Suicide Squad that I, part of the reason why I get bored with Suicide Squad very easily is because the team is very samey or has been very samey since the the New Fifty Two started. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got to have your Harley. You've got to have Deadshot. You've got to have uh, who else? Um, Killer Croc. Killer Croc. Uh, El is usually there. Um, but I think adding a couple new members that we don't know anything about, is a, it, it helped it feel a little fresh. Um, 
I I would feel comfortable saying that this is the best Suicide Squad arc so far, and and maybe close to my least favorite Aquaman arc so far. Does that make sense? Fair assessment. Yeah. Yeah. Zach, what say you? Uh, that's really fair. Yeah. I mean, I this would be a perfectly serviceable Aquaman arc without the Suicide Squad being so prominent. Um, definitely my least favorite part. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, it's weird that this book is winding down. And this is kind of how it's going out. Well, so just today, the November solicits came out, and mm-hmm. Aquaman forty-two is a tie-in with the drown with whatever that next. Um, yeah, Drowned Earth, I think. Yeah, the Drowned Earth story, and Abnett is writing that one, and that would be an even weirder place for his arc to end. So um, they have not officially announced when it's ending yet. I'm gonna guess he does number forty-three in December, and that's it. Um, but we'll see. Um, so I, I was thinking about the Suicide Squad a lot this week, and and I feel like it's been a while since we've had a really good Suicide Squad comic, and I think that part of that is that the premise is is one that is so hard to maintain when you have a character like Harley Quinn on the team, where, like, alright, so even leave out the Suicide Squad movie for a second, but DC is never going to kill Harley Quinn. They're most likely never going to kill uh, a Killer Croc, a Black Manta, a Deadshot. Again, your standard issue, New 52 and beyond uh, Suicide Squad members. And you need that tension in a Suicide Squad comic or else it just doesn't work. So what happens is you wind up with these ancillary characters added to every arc that you know if anyone's going to get their head blown, it's that character. <laughs> and if you take away the the possibility of getting the head blown, the book just isn't interesting because no one ever writes the team with any sort of dynamics whatsoever. You know, it's just this very straightforward, these villains are bickering, Captain Boomerangs or something stupid, <laughs> Waller threatens to blow up their brains, and that's it. So unless you're going to put more into the book, you need to have that hint of, oh shit, anybody can die at any time, and they have done such a terrible job with that that I don't I don't see how you get tension out of this book right now. Just gotta get that head blown. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> you hear that? Brian wants some dome in this comic. <laughs> have you been reading my dream journal? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, just wait till Black Label. We'll get all we could ever want. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anything else to say about uh, Aquaman? No. Nah. Um. A. Uh, so the other day I was in the car with with, with my kids and uh, my kids, had, my kids. We had uh, Sirius XM '90s on Nine on a, a classic radio station in my car and. Um, one week by Bare Ladies came on, and my daughter was like, "Hey, he's an Aquaman." <laughs> she was very excited by the fact that Aquaman was name checked in that song. Yeah, so, I, I was totally I, forgotten that when I was a kid, I was like, uh, "Whoa, Sailor Moon" in a song. 
When was, you were a kid? Yeah, when I was a kid. How old were you when that song came out? I was in elementary school, Brian. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> Moving on. Anime babes make me think the wrong thing. <laughs> uh, Chickadee China, the Chinese. No, uh, don't. That's, that's offensive. No, apparently, <laughs> I just read something about this recently. Uh, apparently, that's a reference to a Buster Rhymes song. Oh, yeah. Okay. So there you go. I'll buy that. Bird Buster Rhymes cannot, cannot be offensive. We all know that. It's true. Um, all right. Let's talk about Batgirl, number 25, a really weird issue, um, written by Marguerite Scott and Paul Denny and illustrated by the aforementioned Joe Bennett, Tom uh, Derenick, uh who else? There was, um, my notes are sadly incomplete here. Vince, did you keep your copious notes this week? I did not. Uh, due to my vacation, I really, I mean my death. I, uh, I his really vacation from this mortal realm. Yeah, there yes, you exactly. Go. Thank his you. vacation to the lands of ghosts and wind. That's mm-hmm. a, a deep, that's a deep Mister uh, Mister Sparkle reference for you <laughs> Simpsons fans out there. Banished uh, so, dirt to the land of ghosts and wind. So, who did you mention already? You said Bennett and and Tom Derenick. Uh Dan Panosian. Yeah, I'm not sure how you pronounce it. Uh, Pelletier, Paul Pelletier, um, and Emmanuel Lupacino. Yeah, there we go. So uh, the first like three or four stories in this oversized issue all link up, uh, which I thought was really interesting, where the story just continues even though the artist and sometimes the writer changes in the middle of it. Um, I thought some of these stories worked far better than others. But overall, I thought this was an okay issue. What did you guys think? I think didn't didn't Marguerite Scott do everything until the very last story? No, Marguerite Bennett did. Oh, uh, Marguerite Grayson. Bennett snuck in there. Okay, yeah, she, okay. Did, she did the Dick Grayson uh, interlude, which, which was the, the best, best part. part. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, and um, I want to talk about that that uh, the most. Should we talk about the other stuff first, or can we go straight to that? Let's go straight to that. Um, so not like obviously that story had the best art. Yes. Um, it was DC three catnip. Yep. It um, got steamy. Ooh. It did get. It did, and it I was tugging on continued. my tongue. So you tugging on your what? <laughs> <laughs> uh, collar. Okay. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Zach, keep going. Sorry. <laughs> um, to be continued. Question mark. So when I first read this, I was just I I read it really quick and thought it was Marguerite Scott. And I was like, oh, okay, this will be in the book. But like, do we think we'll get? What's Marguerite Bennett up to these days? Well, Marguerite Bennett is obviously going to have a. Uh, Dick Babs Black Label book where they fuck. On the Wings of Night. <laughs> Is that a reference to some like old romantic movie from On the was... Wings of Love? <laughs> uh, da, da, da. You know that song? I don't actually. What is that? It's like an '80s power ballad. On the Wings of Love. Look it up. It's a bad song. Okay. I'm really more of a Hall and Oates guy. If it's not Hall and Oates, I don't. It's not Hall and Oates. No. I forget who it is, but it's not Hall and Oates. 
Um, maybe at, with Batman number 100, Dick and Babs get married. Yeah. Oh, it's like a grumpy old man. Uh, uh, <laughs> like, like, uh, misdirect. <laughs> if any of you out there playing DC three bingo had a grumpy old men reference tonight, you win our collective life savings. <laughs> <laughs> spoiler alert we're all bad with our money so uh <laughs> jokes on you um but no that's uh wow what a reference vince thanks yeah everyone's gonna think it's the bat and cat wedding and then the reveal it's gonna be dick and babs and 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 the issues will be returnable again <laughs> <laughs> um so my my one issue with the Dick and Bab stuff. And it's not an issue. It's just, it's, it's sort of a storytelling. It's a storytelling decision. And I understand completely why the decision was made. It just bums me out is you get this great conversation with Dick, between Dick and Babs where Dick talks about his dream wedding and no uh, money shot. <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> just this, this idea of like the only way these characters can ever achieve happiness is really for them to not be Nightwing and Batgirl anymore. Mm-hmm. And we know that's never going to happen. Well, and that's and, so, and that isn't that the Batman Catwoman thing too. It is, um, but I care way more about these characters than I do about <laughs> Selena and Bruce. Uh-huh. So I guess for me, it's things a little bit more. But you know, it's just it's that um, I feel like it's introducing a happy ending that we know can never be there. And like I said, I know why it's done for a storytelling perspective. It's just sort of a bummer from a... Uh, this is one of the few things that I feel like fanboyish about with DC Comics. <laughs> you know, so... You ship. I do. I ship Dip and Babs. Dick and Babs. Um, so were you, like, really offended by the... Um, uh, what, who who wrote that Elseworld Nightwing thing that we all read and didn't love where he oh. ended up with Starfire? Did that oh, offend yeah. you? Uh... Not really. Dick and Starfire is a fine substitute uh, for Dick and Babs. Dick Fire. I don't know about that. (laughs) Starwing. Do you remember Uh, when Animal Man and Starfire had that weird thing? Was that in uh, in 52? Yeah. Yeah. Had that weird older man, older married man tension. Yeah, <laughs> comics are weird sometimes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> comics are weird all the time. Um, so let's um, let's talk about the rest of the issue. First of all, I, I I'm not I'm not trying to pick on the dude. I'm really not. But Tom Derenick's part was really bad this week. Yeah. He it's he's worse than another book, but we'll get there. <laughs> uh, did he do yeah, Did he do the opening part? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was one where where I thought the the story was a solid because it's kind of it's actually I was surprised it's playing upon that one character that we saw in the joker batman like 49 maybe yeah batman 48 it says here okay. um 
where where the Joker was like killing the people in that church. Yeah. I was surprised they returned to that, but I thought I thought from a dialogue perspective or from a thematic perspective to have that guy's mom uh that was his mom, right? Yes, it was yeah. his mom. Yeah. Sort of confront the the issue with Batgirl was actually pretty effective aside from the art, which didn't really work or help matters, I don't think. Yeah. Um, but I, I thought it was surprisingly effective. It maybe went on a little bit too long. It is, it's definitely one of the less interesting bits of this issue, but I thought it accomplished what it was trying to do reasonably well, I thought. Art aside. Yeah, I thought it was a little bit wonky, maybe in some of the dialogue, um, but that's that's certainly forgivable. It's less, it's it's certainly more forgivable than the art as well. Um, I just share with you guys my least favorite panel. Oh issue. boy, here we go. <laughs> peace nut, Zach. Oh yeah, <laughs> I thought about peace nut. Brian, you're pissing everybody off right now. I know. Um, but yeah, so th- the first part, like you said, sort of thematically somewhat interesting, but art-wise really, really suffering. Then the second part is the <laughs> Dick and Bab stuff. <laughs> You're laughing at that Kids, panel? yeah. Kids? <laughs> yeah. At least she's going, kids! And she's singing like an operatic note while she says the word kids. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we get that, then we get the Dick and Bab stuff, which, again... Uh, DC3 catnip. Um, good, 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 good stuff. And then after that, we get the... Uh, I'm trying to see what the next story was. It's I'm that grotesque. one with the, gro- the grotesque... Yeah, is that the villain's name? Mm-hmm. Yes, it is, yeah. Well, they probably shouldn't have written it on the wall in blood. They, <laughs> yeah. might, they might have got away with this. Yeah. I think that this... If this segment worked... It worked because of the hard work that was done in the segment before it to get Babs to think about love in a way. Mm-hmm. Like if, if if you flew this section out without that section before it, I think it would have read really, really bizarrely. Yeah, like like, like the fact that that when when she sees grotesque, she's like, uh, you know, she says, um, hey, "I'm trying to find the line here." Uh, it's like those were people grotesque, people who loved each other. What a weird thing for someone to say in that situation. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really, I'm realizing as we go over it how much goodwill I had to this issue solely because of the Dick Bab story. Um. <laughs> I really didn't like any other story in this issue very much. Yeah. The uh the Lupacino Paul Dini story was fine ish, but it went on for way too long. Yeah. There's way too much backstory and mm-hmm. exposition for a story that ultimately means nothing. Yeah, that's true. It was, yeah. The the designs of the uh like furry characters was that was kind of fun, but yeah, I, I just like Lumic- happens like 
I know. In the first five pages, for the first page and a half, rather, and the rest is really dull. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I love Lupacino's art, though. You also love that page of the furries because it's very reminiscent of Exit Stage Left. Like the play that they put on. Yes. Yep. It's very reminiscent of that. That's why you love it so much. Yep. Yep. Pig snouts even. <laughs> Actually, it's very reminiscent of some orgies I've been to. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Minneapolis, orgy capital of the world. <laughs> we swing. Yep. <laughs> oh boy, what's this? Yep, yep, that is a pig O face right there. Yes, it is. Thank you, Zach. Oh, There's like boy. two other good ones on it's that a nut page, face. too, at least. It's a nut face, we've established. Nut face, not O face. We don't want uh, Mike Judge's people suing us. Yeah, right. Did I? What did I say? Did I say O face? I said O face? Yeah, ah, couldn't be me. Um, <laughs> Thanks, Shaggy. Have you. <laughs> That's it. Wasn't me. I know. I know. It's too good of a reference to, to let go. Okay. Uh, have you have you guys been uh, watching, following my? Uh, have you seen like my my one a.m. posts from my Detective Comics read through? Yes. The grotesque yeah. the grotesque writing his name on the wall in blood thing reminded me of how like right now villains were yeah right now at like every in every issue of detective comics i'm around i'm around 150 right now in every issue the villain like (laughs) it shows the villain plotting like what he's gonna do and he's like the riddler's like i'm gonna create a rebus that they're gonna have to solve and then like (laughs) he does this like they do their crimes and then they show up at the crime scene and they like explain to batman what they're doing (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and it happens in like every issue. So like the Batman's supposed to be this great detective, but he's literally got like the villains every time popping up and explaining to him exactly what they're up to. <laughs> and then he like, he like has his hand on his chin, like, Hmm, <laughs> but they're like shouting it at him. It's, it's ridiculous. Um, golden age comics are bad. is what I'm saying. <laughs> Scorching hot take from Vince Ostrowski. Yeah. Anyway, Batman 53 was very good. Let's talk about Batman 53, written by Tom King, illustrated gorgeously by Lee Weeks. Uh, Zach had a hot take he wanted to talk about with this issue. Do you want to lead off with that, Zach? Oh, well, okay. So it actually wasn't specifically related to this issue, although I did love this issue. It actually had to do um, with this the solicitations for the November issues of Batman. Um, I feel like uh, Tom King has been listening to Kanye. Oh no. Nice callback to the classic uh, two words. Um, (laughs) Because uh, if uh, in Batman number 59, if he chooses one way, he goes to jail. And if he chooses another, he ends up dead. (laughs) <laughs> uh, they're gonna say he had like uh four sisters-in-law he wants to smash <laughs> he probably does that'll be like the next arc <laughs> i love zach's commitment to being the uh the kanye the, guy the kanye yeah. soothsayer yeah. As, as it's a travel. lot harder these days, but like <laughs> when you see that, you just like I can't help to go there. <laughs> it's like it's just there. 
<laughs> I mean, like, uh, it's just there. Yeah. So. Yeah, it is. Still nowhere to go. It's in the song right there. Nowhere to go. Yep. Yep. You got it. <laughs> That's the the only my only quibble with what you said is that you said this was a hot take and you <laughs> what you did was really just disguise a fun Kanye reference as a hot take. Well, <laughs> we weren't going to talk about solicit, so I had to get it in there. Okay. All right. <laughs> Fair enough. I don't even really remember saying it was a hot take. I think. Oh, I you just, definitely said it was a hot take. You definitely take. did. Well, yes. <laughs> it made me think you were. Yeah. No, you're fine. Sorry, I got your hopes up. No, no, no. I you, you, you. I thought asked. you were gonna make the same. Like not. I have a not at all hot take on this issue, but I have a uh, sort of a logical follow up to how this issue is being covered in the comics uh, press. Oh, that you're about to win with facts and logic. I can't wait. No, it's just it's it's an observation. Uh-huh. That's a whole. But I'll save that for the end of the, for the end of our discussion of this because I want to talk about the issue in, in general. Sure. Uh, well, uh, so did you see my tweet about re- replying to uh, uh, who's that guy um, who writes? I think for CBR, Kieran. Kieran Chia. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I I I retweeted that. That was great. Um. So what I thought about that that I didn't tweet was that like. At the top of that multiverse map, you know, there's the Overmind or Overlord or whatever he's called, and he's basically yes. like Grant Morrison in a cloak. Yes. Um, and so I was just like, Bruce needs to have a chat with Animal Man about the time he <laughs> met Grant Morrison, and then <laughs> yeah, he'll believe again. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um. Well, so, so let me just say my comment now. Then, so yeah. first of all, there's been a lot of press about how Batman confirms he's an atheist, confirmed atheist, <laughs> confirmed, confirmed atheist, um, which and I, he actually really even kind of does. Then, well, that's if my you point. Want to is pick that, it apart a little bit? Is that he we can, says yeah. he he says he used to believe in God and God is Batman, and he doesn't believe in Batman anymore. It has nothing to do with whether or not he believes in God, which shouldn't matter in the first place. It doesn't matter. <laughs> but his point is that we've treated Batman as this infallible God, and he no longer believes in that. Mm-hmm. That is his point. It has nothing to do with whether he believes in God or not. And we've seen multiple articles out there being like, why this is a big deal. It's not a big deal. Well, we he also has literally s- met gods in the comic. <laughs> we also saw that uh, Mark Wahlberg could have been the greatest Hal Jordan of all time. So we did see that today. Um, no, but well, here's my p- point that I want to say about that. Hey, Ganthet, say how to your mother for me. <laughs> you see this all the time, where like, oh, there can't be any atheists in the Marvel universe because Thor's literally walking around. Mm-hmm. And I, I think what we need to do in so many ways as comic book fans <laughs> is just chill the fuck out. <laughs> yes. Just understand that like in 80 years of stories across a million different issues, there's going to be things that contradict. So you're telling me that because Thor exists and because, uh, the new gods exist and because the pantheon of gods in wonder woman exists, Nobody can be an atheist if they've ever known about any of that stuff. Like, I'm sorry, but it's just it's going to happen. You can't you can't control this massive universe where you put out 60 issues of a comic a month 
and or of different comics a month and expect for them to all be consistent and just discard entire themes that they could potentially work with just because they technically don't work within the the framework of the entire DCU. Like to your point, Brian, I think the, you know, people who can read intelligently among us understand what Bruce is going for with that speech about God. It's what you say it is. But also, like, I think we can all all suspend our disbelief that, like, everything is going to be consistent 100% of the time. Of course. In 80 years of of shared universe, you know? It also doesn't matter in the slightest. Oh, it doesn't matter at all. And and not to get too pedantic, but this is the DC3 cast, so (laughs) it doesn't really matter. Um, You could easily, like brush that argument away as well as saying either like okay people are just stubborn and going to believe what they want or not believe in what they want and also like you could easily make the argument that especially i feel like this would especially be true of like a batman coming up against like the new gods and rationalizing like these aren't gods they're just higher level you know, yeah. a, a more advanced alien civilization or something. You could easily just like write it off like that. And exactly, you know, but, it's super easy. Yeah. And you'd never, but you'd never do that in the pages of a comic book because it's fucking boring and it's boring. Yeah, exactly. It's boring to read articles about it too. <laughs> so. Well, that's my point is like, if you look at, I mean, I, I know that we tend to be in the minority about the Tom King Batman run in general, but I think by any metric, this is one of the best arcs of Rebirth, let alone, like, just of Batman. It's a really solid three-issue arc. It mm-hmm. looks gorgeous. It has, a like, a very simple, stated purpose. It doesn't... It's it's the least pedantic that Tom King has been in his Batman writing. It's just... It's a really solid thing. And to focus on one ambiguous sentence that has nothing to do with the rest of the issue and to focus multiple articles on that makes no sense to me. <laughs> yeah. I think I mean this is why like not to not to blow my own horn here, toot my own horn, but this is why I like our show so much because like we shoot the shit and we don't like take it too seriously and we don't we're never going to get hung up on a line like that. Well, maybe sometimes. And well, I I don't I don't know. I think we're I think we're pretty good about understanding that like comics are wrestling. It's all fake. What what we hear in one issue is going to change in a year. You know, it's to quote Iggy Pop, it's all disco. Exactly. It's all disco and it should have died 40 years ago. So Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Disco rules. Um but yeah. That anyway, I, I think we've set our piece on that. Yeah, but let's talk about the issue itself because it's really good. Yeah, um, man, Lee Weeks can draw. See, if Tom King wants to do these issues where like people sit around and talk in a very Bendisy fashion, Lee Weeks can draw that all day because he just puts these subtle touches in their facial expressions that that make a page of a back and forth dialogue interesting you know bruce's face is more interesting than it's ever been he still looks like he's holding on a fart all the time but that's, <laughs> that's what's interesting that's what's interesting yeah. about it 
That's like, when's he going to let it out? Exactly. <laughs> Probably in the next uh, Michael Jannon arc. Yeah, unfortunately. And we love that guy, too. Yeah, we do. We uh, got We always have to preface, like, it's not him. It's the it's the whole it's the thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I want to talk a little bit about something we haven't touched on. I don't believe in the uh, in the prior two issues, which is Elizabeth Brightweiser's coloring. Mm-hmm. It is so damn good in this issue. Um, just there are numerous pages where the colors just make the page. But there's one page in particular where you see um, it's sort of split into three, and one of it is a Batman punching the Joker and then kicking the Penguin, and then the third one is uh, Scarecrow. And each col- each one has, like, the Joker's is bathed in purple, the Penguin's is bathed in blue, and Scarecrow is orange. And it's it's not over-the-top... But but it's reminiscent of like what what Frank Avia does so well with his coloring, and what what a number of and then the next page then is the Riddler, Two Face, and Mister Freeze, and again like each character is given this this like bright uh, backdrop of their sort of signature color, and it's just such an effective, such a subtle way to color those pages, and it it adds a a sort of cinematic sepia tone feel to those piece those pieces which just really works the whole issue is just so gorgeous and i think that her coloring is is far more subtle and nuanced than we're used to getting in... from the intellectual dark web yeah yes of course uh no from the uh from batman in particular i feel like batman has been one of the poorer colored comics we've gotten in rebirth yeah yeah. Also, That's really great piece. uses of of like inking and um, shadow. Yeah, and shadow. Like the pages that are almost all black as well are really really good. Like I think of those two pages of Bruce and then like looking upward and and then the scene of Selena in the alleyway where there's just like literally only a a sliver of light and color on the page. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Um, it's good. This is a great arc. That last page was really good. And also maybe the one time that Tom King has put a Bible verse in, in an <laughs> issue that hasn't made me like groan a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As a man with a theology degree, I'm always a sucker for a Job discussion. Um, yeah. So I'm all about I, that. I guess the only other time in this run was that Joker issue. Maybe maybe there were others. That Joker issue just sticks out. Yeah. <laughs> that whole that that whole thing was a mess. But Brian is it? Yeah. Oh, go oh, ahead, Ben. Go no, what were you gonna say, Zach? N- nothing important. Oh. Brian as a theology major, did you appreciate that Hannibal Burris picture from the have you seen that? I don't know. You know the Hannibal Burris picture from uh, from the Eric Andre show where he's saying, "Why are you all booing? I'm right." Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Did you see the one where somebody just put Galatians four sixteen under his? No, I did no. see that. I did. Which, which yeah. is, have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's pretty awesome, though. I've not seen that. That's classic. That's that's so good. <laughs> Sometimes the internet is good. Sometimes. Yeah. 
becoming rare, more rare as the as the days go on. But yeah, um, I have a hot take coming up. Go for it. Batwoman number eighteen. Well, let's finish Batman first. Okay, um, I thought we I thought we were done. Sorry, no, I'm sorry. Um, anything else to add about this? I I did want to say one thing that I felt like um sort of the point of the issue is that, you know, so much of this is that Bruce believes that he went over the line as Batman, and so he has to rectify that mistake. The fact that he went to the lengths of bribing his way onto the jury, I thought was an interesting decision for King to have made. Uh, it makes a lot more sense than, like, why Bruce Wayne is just randomly on this jury that uh, that involves um, Mr. Freeze. But did you guys think that that was a little bit too much in terms of the story? I've seen that. I've seen some people say how that was their least favorite bit of the issue. I, Zach, I think you all basically predicted that kind of. Haven't think, you? Been, well, haven't you been saying all along that like Bruce sabotaged his way into this situation? Yeah, that was my theory. Is that he like he either and I I do I don't mind that the like issue didn't make it perfectly clear, but like my theories were that he either you know know messed up and then was trying like you know i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm trying to fix it um (laughs) and then like or that he is just like fully self-sabotaging in general like this is like an even more elaborate plan to just like discredit batman so it's either like damage control or self-destruction which i'm fine either way but i think clearing up that he did bribe his way on um at least like for me clears up a small little um you know disbelief issue where uh a a judge would allow a you know billionaire with financial ties to this vigilante who whose testimony is like the hinging factor in this case (laughs) to like be on the jury like that just doesn't you know which again is like a pedantic thing but the fact that yeah well of course he bribed his way on so that Settles that. Yeah. I agree. Good issue, Tom King. Keep it up. Although I fear you won't. Yeah, did you guys hear about the stuff with um, the Matt Wagner issue and the coloring? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Tell our listeners, Zach, for those that didn't see it. Well, essentially, so that's the next issue. Number 44 was solicited as... um, I think like a flashback issue maybe um, with Matt Wagner illustrating and his son um, Wagner Jr. I can't, I forget his first name um, <laughs> coloring and DC um, after the colors and everything had been completed um, just uh, kind of without explanation contacted them and said that they were going to turn the colors over to someone in-house. Um, it didn't, and like I said, without explanation. And then after the Wagners reached out, they um, were informed that it had to do with the fact that the colors that were submitted were not in line with the um, style of the series thus far, which we'll get into that in a minute, but um they ended up paying, you know, paying for the work and everything. And 
but it, it's, it's kind of lousy, I think, a little bit, especially because, like, Brian, I think you were kind of getting at the fact that there isn't a, like, really good color tonal style for this run. I mean, am I alone in thinking that? No, I don't think so, necessarily. Especially and- because you think about the... Um, the Michael Janine issues are always like very monochromatic and I don't like not in like a black and white way, but it's usually like a single dominating color. Right. Whereas no other artist does that. I think it would be very different if like we're talking about Aquaman earlier. I think Mm -hmm. Aquaman has had a very specific coloring style since issue 25 when say it came on the book. I think if that went like, um, pop art day glow colors it would feel totally different whereas i don't especially if it's a flashback batman issue or some sort of you know unusual batman issue i don't think having a different coloring style would have affected my enjoyment of that at all yeah so i i actually haven't seen that many people talking about it there's just been a couple of articles written not nearly as much you know talk about that as Batman being an atheist, but um, it got around a little bit. Yeah. Right, well, let's talk about the issue Vince can't wait to talk about. He's interrupt <laughs> us to get to it. Uh, the interrupter? <laughs> yes. <laughs> interrupter, aren't you the guy who <laughs> finishes your sentences? <laughs> Didn't we last meet when you uh, we're hanging myself in the closet. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's on, Trying it's to on. get you to do old Conan bits. Yeah, yeah. We need our internet friend Brian Stack on the show. <laughs> yes, our buddy. <laughs> so. <laughs> um, yeah, Batwoman. It's Batwoman 18, written by Marguerite Bennett, illustrated by Fernando Blanco. Mm-hmm. Um, the final issue of this run. And Vincent, since you're, uh, you're all about this. Let's t- let's have you take it away. My favorite issue of the week, by far. This was very good. Yeah, this was this was a masterclass in leaving you with a final issue of a comic book that that even if you didn't love the series before and and felt like it was really up and down, the way Marguerite Bennett ends this. <sighs> It, it it makes you regret that it's over, regardless of how you felt about it before. Agreed. You know? Everything about this was just... From wrapping up the... The way that she wrapped up the Clock King part of the story, um, just really good dialogue, really great fight scene from Fernando Blanco, who's become like... He's become like a, a master of the fight scene uh, also. And then to 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 parlay that into this kind of montage that sort of summarizes everything that that Kate Kane is at this point, including leaving her relationship uh, in a really sort of interesting uh, kind of I mean it's kind of the Dick and Babs thing again. I have a note about that in a minute, but keep keep going. Sure, uh, but but just just you know, a perfect summation of everything that Kate Kane is at this point, and 
and leaving you wishing that there was more to it than than we're going to end up getting. And I and I want to know what's next now. And if you look across the 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 general landscape of the DCU, there's really no no indication that she has an immediate story coming up. I don't think because she's kind of done. She's kind of done in detective, right? This series yeah. is ending. They don't really have any plans, do they, for her that we know about? No, but here's what I was gonna say. Well, there's gonna be the show, so yeah, there, there's definitely gonna be something with Batwoman. But I was thinking specifically with with Bennett and Batwoman. Um, wouldn't it be great if there was a uh, some sort of Batwoman Batgirl comic? Yeah, yeah. Because we just we just got Bennett writing a Batgirl comic with to be continued at the end of it. That's true. And uh, I don't think those two have ever been on a team together, have they? Yeah, I don't know. They they interplayed in in Detective Comics a little bit, but not not on a right, not explicitly on a team together. Yeah, I really think that that DC needs to double down on this idea of having a Gotham, um, like a a book that is just about the various heroes of Gotham. Like how Detective was very much the, the the Batman, the Gotham team-up book, you know? I feel like there needs to be one of those books all the time at DC. Yeah. And maybe Ben's the person to write that. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. Zach, what'd you think of this issue? Um, the art was really great. I think, you know... Um, Historically, I haven't been super high on this book, except for when it first started and I kind of um, tightened it and thought it or not tightened, Trinity it and <laughs> thought it was going to be like this run for the ages and that'd be fantastic. And then I fell off after the first arc and didn't like it very much anymore. And so, I mean, like uh, those, um, you know, recap pages while being very pretty just reminded me of all the things that I didn't either didn't read or didn't like about this run. Um, I did like where it ended, but it didn't leave me. I, I guess I just didn't have like a ton of satisfaction because I wasn't very invested. I am kind of glad that we'll get a new starting point again and maybe Maybe I'll like that better. That's just kind of what I hope. Fair enough. I hate to be the downer on this, but I just have not been um, super into this book. What I think is frustrating about this issue and this book in general is that it took 18 issues to get us to what we wanted this book to be in the first place. Yeah. You know, I, I know that this arc has been on the whole much better, but I don't think anybody was like, what was Kate Kane doing in the last year of her life? I don't think anybody had that idea in their head that that would be an interesting story. I mean, not to say it couldn't have been, but I don't think it particularly was. Whereas I think everybody wanted to see a Kate Kane, Renee Montoya thing. I know you don't want to like, you don't want to pull the trigger on that too quickly if you're doing this book. But to wait till the very end to do it just seemed like it was it was toying with the audience for no real reason. Yeah, especially since she showed up 
in in like a page or two very early on. Yes. Making you think that something imminent was coming. And then it kind of wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. All right. Anything else? Uh, nope. I don't think so. Not for me. All right. Well, uh, why don't we do this? Why don't we take a quick break? And we'll be back in just a second with more details. Hello, we're the hosts of the Multiversity Manga Club podcast. I'm Emily. I'm Zach. And I'm Walter. Each month, we pick a manga to read and discuss among ourselves. Past books include Monster, A Silent Voice, and Pokemon Adventures. We also look back on the past month's installments of Weekly Shonen Jump, discussing the highs and lows from the Viz Anthology. We've even discussed notable manga adaptations like Netflix's Death Note. At the end of each episode, we announce next month's book club pick so you can read along with us. We're always open to suggestions for future books as well. So join us on the first Friday of every month on MultiversityComics.com, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. And we are back with Cave Carson has an interstellar eye, number six, written by John Rivera, illustrated by Michael Avon Oming. The finale of Cave Carson has an interstellar eye. And um, I think this is going to go this way. I think I'm going to have liked this the most. And then Vince is going to like it the second most, and Zach sort of skimmed it. Does that sound about right? (laughs) Checks out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um. I yes, but I think I liked it less than you imagine I did, Brian. I I didn't say how much you liked it. I just I just know you liked it less than I did. I'd be in between. Yes, that's true. I'm I'm in between you guys. Yeah. This this book to me, I really enjoyed in its first inter- in the cybernetic eye iteration, mm-hmm. and after the Interstellar series is completely over, my stance is this, basically the same as it's been since the the kind of beginning, which is I really like the stuff involved in the Cave Carson has a educational podcast part, and. Almost everything else is lost on me. Like, I can't follow the stuff that's not to do with the backup. <laughs> and I'm not sure why. I'm not sure if that's my fault, if I'm not paying attention enough, or or if it really is that messy of a... I just found this second installment of the series very messy. Me too. Yeah, to the point where I even like cracked this issue open and I thought this is the last issue I should try to read it, and I just couldn't. I, I was repelled somehow. There was just some force, some magnetic polar nonsense that just I couldn't do it. It was the still force. It was the still force. Yeah, <laughs> I I could have tried to have read it, but I would have imploded on impact. <laughs> Um, so Brian, tell us why it's good though. Well, it's good because it tied up what was potentially a very messy story in a relatively uh straightforward manner. I felt that I found this issue actually very easy to understand. And I, I feel like one of the one of the threads of the second wave of young animal books 
has been that even though we've liked a lot of them, they've been harder to understand than the first wave. Is, is that a fair assessment? <laughs> no, and I think it's so funny how each of us is like ciphering a different young animal book. Yeah, that's just that's just it. Because like, well, yeah, yeah. Keep. Going. I mean, this is this is Brian. You are Eternity Girl. I think maybe, and I was Shade. Like, you mean which ones we like? And the other ones can't totally figure out. Basically, yeah. Like, yeah. I, I mean, I think Brian and I both liked Eternity Girl a lot and, and understood yeah. it. We, we muddled through the last issue pretty well last week. We didn't have you there to unlock all the secret secrets. <laughs> yeah. um, but see, see, to me, the book that you guys have liked, I have not liked Mother Panic very much in this iteration. Oh, yeah, yeah. And you guys have liked that way more than I have. Um, and I feel like Shade, although we all really liked Shade, I think we all felt like Shade was probably operating at a slightly higher frequency than um, than the first installment did. Mm-hmm. So it's just interesting to me that like each of these uh, each of these books has been slightly more inscrutable than the last uh, than the last iteration of it. Um, but I, I felt this was actually a, a pretty straightforward story. I I liked how it tied up pretty much every loose end from this particular uh, six issues in this. Uh, in this one issue, I like to see Wild Dog back. Um, yeah, I I I genuinely dig this. I this is to me still the best young animal book that's not Doom Patrol on on just a purely enjoyability scale mm. for me. Shade is really close, but I I think this one edges it out just because I like sort of the weirdo characters and and whatnot. Tell me why I'm wrong. Come on, boys, bring it. No, I think I think that's totally fair. I think it goes to show what a diverse line young animal is, I think. Yeah, and I can't tell you because whereas you at least read all of Shade and could argue against me, I have not. No, I, I like Shade. I, I could read all of No, no, but I feel like we're kind you. of the inverse of this, although I'm, like, stronger, <laughs> you know? Like, I... I, you were, you were much more the centrist and I was the (laughs) radical. Fuck you. (laughs) I didn't mean it in a bad way. Painted me with that Hillary Clinton brush yet again. (laughs) I'm just chilling reading Cave Carson. (sighs) Sorry, go ahead, Zach. No, I mean, that's pretty much all. I, I just, um. I feel like all of I, I just found this too obtuse to to be enjoyable. That's all I got. Yeah. I suppose that's fair. Although I again, I feel like on the obtuse meter, this is nowhere near Mother Panic. But that's that's just me, I guess. See, I feel like Mother Panic is like the simplest one. I feel like that's like the most grounded down to earth one. All our takes on on the young animal line are just all over the place. <laughs> yeah. We have no common ground that's other true. than they're mostly good. Um did you guys see the uh Jarway's letter at the end of the this issue? Um I did not know. I just now noticed it and you know kind of one of the breaks we were t- talking about how um Doom Patrol 12 got solicited for November 
Um, and it's not listed as a final issue. And then in this letter, Way kind of talks about winding down the series and how um, he and um, Darrington are getting ready to start working on issue 13 and the next arc and how there are going to be new series coming out. So I guess that kind of answers our questions about where Young Animal is going. Oh, wow. Well, that's awesome. I still think we're probably like a year away from Doom Patrol number 13, though. Probably, yeah. And and all of those books, basically. Yeah. Or six months away, maybe. It'll be like a summer thing. They'll do like another Milk Wars, but they'll, they'll announce it as like the start of a, a new wave. Yeah. I'm surprised that Darrington is doing that because he's doing that Bendis Batman run. Well, I guess he doesn't specifically say Darrington. He says the Team Doom Patrol, which I take to be... That's fair, okay, yeah. ...way in Darrington, but that could be not. Um, but if this is, like, far enough out, you know, if that... Um, I guess that Bendis thing is only, like, a six-issue total, you know, in terms of, like, content. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, Maybe he can do both. Yeah. All right. Well, Zach, this this is your time to shine here. We're going to talk about Damage Number Eight, <laughs> uh, written by Rob Venditti, illustrated by Diogenes Nevis and Tom Derenick. And take it away, boy. I'm not. Is this actually illustrated by Nevis? I, it says here, uh, storytellers, Diogenes Nevis, Tom Derenick, and Rob Venditti. Right. None of so, this looks like any Nevis art I've ever seen. I can't place it. I When <laughs> I said that the, there was a worse Derenick book this week, I meant this one. Yeah. Um, there's, some real, there's some rough panels. Nothing against the guy. Um it doesn't look like his normal work. It looks like it was maybe there was some crunch or something there. Um, actually, I think it's more the coloring than anything, honestly. Um, but this issue has just one of the most buck wild <laughs> pages. It's the whole page. <laughs> Lay it on a sack. Uh, yeah, come so, on, don't hold that on us. So you know, like earlier issues mentioned the unknown soldier, and there was you know some question of like, okay, is this a misdirect? Is it talking about just the literal statue, uh, the grave of the unknown soldier? Are we gonna get the the DC character, the unknown soldier? And you know, I kind of leaned into is it. It like, no, no, I think we're gonna see the unknown soldier. And then sure enough, we have this. Uh, really nondescript white guy hanging out in in um, Ethan's room and and but he's not a normal guy. Um, he's got a normal he's guy a face boo. that looks like a really normal face, and then he pulls that face off <laughs> to reveal his bandaged face <laughs> underneath. <laughs> Ears exposed though, um, and it's the unknown soldier. Yeah. It's wild. And the image of his bandaged face is the most Derenick Derenick's ever Derenicked. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Um, it, 
It looks like a Rob Liefeld drawing. Well, a Rob Liefeld face that somebody covered in bandages so you didn't have to look at it. (laughs) (laughs) With like the upside down triangular, very triangular mouth. The nose. Yeah. 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 Um, and then I love every uh, oh, wait, page after that. Oh, go ahead. The, the the real the real tell that it's a Liefeld page. No feet. Yep. No, no feet. feet no feet anywhere. There are some feet in this comic, but um, <laughs> every page he, he after looks different that on he, every page, you can see like where the bandages end on his like neck, you know, and so <laughs> yeah. it's just like he looks like I don't even know how to how do you even describe this to a person. Well, and like on that on that first page, the bandages like they don't contort to the shape of his face, right? They like it's it's actually more realistic, even though it looks goofier. It's more realistic than what we get later because like the bandages go across the nose and they go like straight across the face. They don't create, they don't they don't contort to the right. muscle musculature of the face. But in every other panel afterwards, it's just like a normal face that then he drew like a bunch of lines over and and then they they colored it like tape. Yes. Yeah. You know, it's like like the bandages are over his lips. So yeah. that like when his mouth moves, <laughs> the bandages move along with them. Yeah. And it's almost you like you guys if have put blinked. far more thought into the like <laughs> mechanics of this bandage mask than anyone involved with this book ever. And, well, like later in the book it almost looks like if he blinked he would have bandage eyelids. You know, like <laughs> He in fact does. He does though. On page uh, 17 of our PDF, he does. He's got his eyes closed and he says it changes you forever and he's got taped over his eyelids. God damn it. <laughs> <sighs> look th- this is fiction and we i can suspend my disbelief but like when the when the comic's not interesting at all you start to notice things like that i also like how there's clearly visible uh like scotch tape on his uh on his bandage face yeah yeah oh yeah i gotta keep those bandages <laughs> bandaged oh my gosh you're right he does close it. he has bandaged eyelids um that's that's all there is to say about this book. This book is Elvis oh. Avery. <laughs> that's his real name. <laughs> that's what they went with. Tiny Elvis. <laughs> <laughs> that one's for Kate, yep. our uh, social media if, director. If this re- if that really is a callback to Ethan Van Skyver, I really wish his name had been either like. Elvis Van Avery or Ethan Van Avery, so that his initials would have been Ava, Eva, <laughs> and then Evangelion, something something Evangelion. Yeah, <laughs> that's all I wanted. There you go. If Bor- if Boruto is your special boy, Shinji Ikari is my special boy. That's fair. Brian doesn't get any of this. Um, Borat is my special <laughs> boy. Bo- rather, Huey, Huey Lewis. Huey Lewis, is my... Lewis exactly, boy. yeah. Huey Lewis is my special boy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, let's move on. Yeah. Let's talk about Green Lanterns number 53. 
this is written by Dan Jurgens, of course, and illustrated by um, who did this issue? Marco, this Marco Santucci. Marco Santucci, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, is that Brian or Zach? I can. <laughs> sounded so authentic. It's late. <laughs> Your Italian accent gets more authentic later. It goes. Um, He's gonna fit right in in New York. Exactly, New York. Uh, yeah, this issue is shit. <laughs> yeah, I'm 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 paging through it right now, and I can't remember whether I read this or not. Oh, I read it. We'll talk about it. Do I have to? No, you don't have to. Oh, no, yes, they... I did read it because I got to the end, and the big reveal is Cyborg Superman. <laughs> Yeah, well, we knew which, we knew he was coming. Which, well, I I don't really like pay attention to or remember things from the solicits, so I get surprised by things that I probably should have already known. Mm-hmm. But anyway, the point is that's got to be Dan Jurgens' favorite character at this point. Yeah, and there's like four different Cyborg Superman flying around as we talked about before. Yeah, um, yeah, my we, favorite, yeah. Which there a panel is... in this? So there's this guy. E- is it Eon? Is that his name? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the big guy. So Guy Gardner's like, oh, you can, uh, you're an you're an energy creature that can grow in size. I got that game, and he creates a giant version of himself where real Guy Gardner is the dick of giant Guy Gardner. <laughs> Page seven of our PDFs, guys. If that's <laughs> If that's not the most Freudian thing, oh my god! <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then the first line of dialogue he says is "and torture hippie butt." <laughs> he says, "I'll meet your bid and up the ante." He says, "Up the ante," right as he's becoming the dick. <laughs> yeah. And and torture hippie butt. This is yeah. uh, is the next yeah. line. What's yeah. everybody looking at? <laughs> Exactly. Nothing. <laughs> uh, yeah. Guy Schlongler. <laughs> Boy, speaking of like comics going buck wild, uh-huh. I, I feel like these books that are like clearly in a transition period are always like so clearly the worst comics that that DC puts. Like I feel like the editors don't even really read them. Yeah, I agree with that. You know. What's crazy is, like, Supergirl went away for however long. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I don't know why this book... Like, obviously, this book is being canceled, so that's slightly different. Um, but I feel like there's no reason for these issues to exist. This is not going to inform anything in the DC Universe after this. Yeah. Is this just, like... J- Jurgens has got to have pictures of Dan Dio doing something to somebody... <laughs> Because I don't understand why he keep why he keeps getting opportunities to do this. Like this feels like the ninth book that Jurgens has had that feels like a favor. <laughs> well, you know, Jurgens seems to be one of those guys who is just never going he's always gonna have a job at DC for as long yeah. as he's alive. He's never gonna be without a book. Um Every time there's like a movie pre- premiere or anything, he is right there next to Jim Lee and Dan DiDio 
at the movie premiere doing like a photo op. I feel like if he doesn't have a front office job at DC, he might as well. Because he's he's basically brought along. And actually, I think he'd be pretty good in that role. Like better, better than he is as a writer at this point, you know? Um, sorry, Dan, (laughs) but I think like, I think he's just always going to be an ambassador of DC comics and, you know, he'll, he'll be like Chris Claremont who will never work for anyone else, even if Marvel doesn't really want him to work for them either. (laughs) You know, man, that'd be the poach of the. Yeah. The decade, right? Yeah. Um, I just want to point out that this is like a classic example of a cover being totally not at all what the issue is about. <laughs> uh, it's it's a nice looking cover, actually. It's one of my favorite covers of the week with that like weird um like sixties movie poster arm. Yeah, it very looks like the, anat- the, like the anatomy of a murder uh poster. If anyone yeah. knows what that poster looks like, yeah. um. But it says Simon Baz guilty, and that's not a thing at all in this issue. <laughs> uh huh. Um, but yeah, book's almost over. Let's deal with it. All right, here comes a book that I think we all probably glazed over at parts of reading: Harley Quinn number forty-eight, written by Sam Humphreys. Is this his fourth issue? I believe so. I think yeah. that's right. Yeah. Uh, illustrated by Allison Borges, her first issue with his. Humphreys. His. His. Oh, it's it, really? Oh, yeah. I was not aware. Okay. Yeah. My apologies. Did not mean to misgender someone there. Um. Uh, this is fine. This is. This Vince, you you once described Harley Quinn perfectly. Of like, you're interested for an issue or two, and then you get bored right away. Yeah. I feel like this issue is the literal definition of that. Yeah. Yep. Yep, definitely, like, I legitimately enjoyed that first arc that Sam Humphreys did, and I hopped into this book and pretty much immediately went, ah, yeah, I think I'm done with this for a while. Yeah, (laughs) yep. I will say that Lord Deathman is always fun. Yep. So that's good. And um, I'll also say that that checklist about a third of the way through the issue was, that was fun. hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> that, that was really funny. Dark sides, diners and drive throughs. <laughs> yeah. Imagine what if dark side were Guy Fieri. I want nothing more out of life. Cancel all comics until somebody gets me that comic. All right. Well, let, let, let's work this out for a second. Okay. So the anti-life equation is obviously donkey sauce, <laughs> right? Yep. Yep. Um, in this scenario, is the lead singer of Smash Mouth Apocalypse? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yep. Um, what would be like? Well, what would be the equivalent of Scrumptious? Uh I mean, Flavor Town is Apocalypse. We all know that. I mean, instead of saying Flavor Town, yeah, yeah, Flavor Town is Apocalypse. Instead of saying like uh, one of his patented. You know, this is off the chain or whatever catchphrases. He would just say dark side is. <laughs> okay. He would say he would say like French dip is. Whatever he was eating, it would be is. <laughs> Cheesesteak okay. is. Cheesesteak is, yeah. And 
Uh, and the one thing we have to – Guy's famous uh, cherry red convertible, it's mm-hmm. obviously a sofa in, yes. in Dark Side's uh, <laughs> world. He drives the sofa through the streets on his way to the diners. Well, he, he, he drives the sofa through a boom tube on the way to the diner. There you go. Yep. Yeah. I think we got it. I, I, th- I think we've I think we've uh, effectively taken this joke to its logical conclusion. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Zach, did you read this issue? Negative. I feel like I'll... you were maybe the 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 strongest on the first arc too. I was, I really was, but I think we talked about. I, I guess it feels it feels like last week, but it obviously wasn't. But whenever the last issue was, um. It fell prey to the, you know, the 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 pattern we've seen with Harley Quinn books where the first few issues of a new arc are maybe okay and then you, you kind of wore out that welcome real quick. But I, I agree with Vince. The Lord Death bit was good, the checklist is good, the art is really good. Mm-hmm. Um I feel like the art on Harley Quinn books has always been above average. Yes. Uh-huh. Um, and I'm a little bit perplexed as to why, because I feel like it's not a character that necessarily demands... Um, like There are certain characters that seem to... like The technical aspect of drawing them is, is above a certain level of artist's pay grade. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, I feel like Harley Quinn is not one of those characters. Well, I do think on Harley Quinn, like you get, you get a little bit, a sprinkling of the type of art that they don't allow on like other books, like John Timms when he draws a book of this. Uh huh. They're not going to have John Timms, I don't think, draw any other comic for them because they're committed to sort of having, I I don't want to say a house style, but they have an idea for each character that the character needs to have this certain sort of art. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's not, it's not like a house style, but it's like by character. And I feel like with Harley, they're willing to let John Timms kind of do his thing, which is more playful and cartoony. Or like when they've had some of those, uh, Harley and Joker, I forget who draws those. I'm, I'm, it's on the tip of my tongue, but like the Harley and Joker, Harley loves Joker stories. Yeah, yeah. Where it's basically, uh, it's not Bruce Tim, but it's that style of art, right? Essentially, that they're not putting on any other book. So I feel like with Harley, I feel like my estimation of the Harley art is increased by it just being far more playful than most other DC books. And so I, I, I like it more on that level. Um. I I wish they would let this happen on other books sometimes, but yeah. I also just just truly don't understand. I find it very odd that Harley Quinn is one of the most popular characters at DC. That we've talked about this a hundred times, but how none of the three of us are particularly fans, and I wonder if that says more about. I don't know if, if that's indicative of like our age slash our DC history, or if it's just that we happen to be a three random guys who don't like Harley Quinn stories. <laughs> well, 
for me, I'll say that like when I'm when I'm on social media or whatever, or I'm reading about Harley, it's Harley is basically like a love it or hate it type thing. Uh-huh. And I'm not I'm squarely in the middle. Like I'm not one of those people who's like, oh, Harley. I'm like. I'm one of the people who's like she's oversaturated at this point, but I feel the same way about Batman, you know, right? Like I don't need 13 comics with Batman in it every month, but, you know, it's just I'm I'm not a Quinn fan, but I'm not a, a detractor either. I just. It gets to a certain point where it's too much, you know, and I think I think I talked about this with Greg Matasevich on his show, but like Harley's oversaturated. But in the grand scheme of things at DC, they still treat her like Harley, whereas Batman's oversaturated. But also, if you're following DC, you've got to read all the books with Batman. <laughs> you know what I mean? Harley's yeah. off in her own little corner. Batman is like the centerpiece of the DCU. Right. So you can't escape the oversaturation in that case. Whereas with Harley, I can dip in, I can dip out, and I feel good about that. You know. But I feel like with Batman... Even though Batman is absolutely oversaturated and there's too many Bat books, etc., etc., you can get three different Bat books that feel three different ways. Sure. Whereas I feel like there hasn't been a non this type of Harley story in three years, five years. Sure. Okay. More? I don't know. I don't know. Anything else to say about this issue? No. Mm-mm. Okay. Let's talk about Justice League number six. Written by Scott Snyder, illustrated by Jorge Jimenez. Boys, take it away. This is very good. Maybe, uh... No, I, I, yeah, best issue of the week, I would say. Um, if you look at that last page of the Earth as like a giant white lantern, you can see our three boners from space. Because <laughs> that is so unbelievably a DC3 thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Snyder continues to top, and, and Jimenez continue to top themselves. So much so that I don't... I, I think we've talked about this a little, how like, well, what comes after this? And then I and then I kind of th- thought like, well, he'll start to break it down and he'll, you know, he'll do a story about this character or this group of characters and it's going to get smaller before it gets bigger again. Mm-hmm. But, but this issue almost makes me think, well, that last page, just when I... Th- think i know where the comic's going or like how big it's getting it, it gets even bigger maybe there's room maybe this is since this is comics there's room for it to get as big as it wants to you know yeah who knows what the scope of this thing is this could be like the multiversity all over again you know it's insane to me that snyder keeps coming up with these ways to to draw upon these uh, d- the elements of DC lore and make them even more larger than life than they already were. The planet becoming a white lantern. I mean, what? C- come on. 
Who Come else on. is doing that? That's like a Morrison thing. Yeah, well, that's a, and he essentially created like other Mogo. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I really so. I don't know about you guys, um, but I, I think like one of the big complaints that I had about um, the, especially the Brian Hitch run, and then even like to a degree the Johns run is that like, and even I guess really like all big seven Justice League runs is that um, they're a little boring. Yeah. Um, and like starting this off with the Justice League animated team is really good and fun, but I really wonder and hope if Snyder and team are going to stick with some of the changes that they're making to these characters, at least temporarily. Like, I wonder how long we're going to get ultraviolet Jon Stewart. I wonder how long we're going to get like a flash who can use the still force, Mm-hmm. Or this new, like, whatever is going on with Hot Girl's wings. Um, Great. Bruce is crippled. Um, yeah, br- yeah. The, the Bruce I thing. I want all these things to stay for a while. Yeah. Obviously, that's incredibly hard in a shared universe. Well, it is, but it doesn't have to be because, well, like, that's what you, I was going to say. Yeah. yeah. Like, I feel like it's hard in the shared universe because of how interconnected the books have been since Rebirth started. Right. But, I mean, if you think, like, the whole, like, Last John's Justice League arc happened with characters who were, like, off the table or in different status quos than the rest of the DCU. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, what were you going to say about Bruce, Vince? I think I oh, cut you off there. No, I was going to say I'm pretty sure like in a in a future solicitation, they talk about how Bruce is in some kind of supportive brace or something. Mm-hmm. So like that is something that they're at least planning to take down the road a little bit. And wasn't that part of Snyder's Batman also that in the future, Bruce is like totally... Oh, I don't. Who? What? What book had that in it? Remember, there was definitely a New Fifty Two Bat book that had him not quite in like the Kingdom Come uh, brace, but that under the under his costume he was like totally braced up. What book was that? Was that Futures End stuff or? It might have been. Now, now that was mm. nothing to say that Zach might have been Futures End stuff, but yeah, I don't remember. That might maybe I I do like vaguely recall what you're talking about though. Um. But then the yeah, other, I... oh, go, go ahead. ahead. I was no, you go say, ahead. The as the other thing I I was gonna say, playing off of what you said, Zach, was uh, wouldn't it be great if Snyder keeps the ultraviolet lantern thing going with John, and like down the road, like ten years down the road, we look back on this run and and it's like the electric blue Superman, or like yes, you know, we look back on it and we go, holy shit, I can't remember like. <laughs> We look at right. a ra- we look at a random page and we go, "What's John doing in that purple?" Yeah, yeah. I I love shit like that. Yeah. I oh I do too, and I want it to be a thing so badly because it's like we talked about either last week or one of the prior weeks about how none of the Earth Lanterns really have like defining things about them, like since they're all back to being Green Lanterns again, and this 
I mean, I would love to see the kind of swing in the other direction again and let John kind of be the, you know, the, this ultra-violent lantern for no, a while. why not? You know, with Hal being the sole focus of the Green Lantern, or at least it seems like the sole focus of the Green Lantern, and with, you know, it seems like uh, Kyle Rayner being killed off because fuck Tom King in uh, <laughs> Heroes of Crisis. Aww. Like, you know, why not have John be the ultraviolet lantern for a year? Brian, I'm going to be so sad for you. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, I want it. Yeah. But this issue is great, and Jorge Jimenez is continuing to get better and better. And not only better and better, he's managing to add new tricks to his playbook that I didn't know he had. Like, if you go to the first in-story page of this issue, and you look at um, his Joker Mm. there, that looks totally different than anything you'd have seen, like, in Super Sons a year and a half ago. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely different. And uh, I'm not even sure how they totally achieved that look, you know? Yeah, I mean, it just him and just keeps doing new and different things that are so impressive, and uh, you know, oh man, and yet he doesn't like he hasn't given up what made him what we loved about his earlier work either. All of that stuff is still present in his work. It's just that he's added to it and has such a a more diverse palette of of styles and tricks up his sleeve and. Uh, he is the perfect artist for this story. Mm-hmm. I I love. Um, I wanted to bring this up. I feel like Vince will appreciate this. Um, on the page where um, Lex kind of blasts Bruce with the uh, with the doorknob or whatever, and um, kind of like breaks him. There's that panel on the bottom left that's just like bruce yelling mm-hmm. that panel feels like straight out of dragon ball when like yeah. a villain is being hit by like a kamehameha wave or something and they're like being like stretched or distorted by the image the energy or something like that feels straight out of something like that absolutely absolutely and uh yes yes that's fantastic I get that reference too, guys. Yeah, yep, you do. Sure you do. Hey, I knew you would get it, but I just didn't know if you would appreciate it as much. Sure. Brian, when we come to to New York City, um, instead of going to Comic-Con or doing anything DC3 related, we're going to sit down with my Dragon Boxes and we're going to watch as much Dragon Ball as we can get through. And then Zach and I are just going to leave when we have to leave. But (laughs) but you're going to have seen like 72 hours of Dragon Ball. I'll be happy just to hang out with my buds. Which is like a tenth of the series. <laughs> right. You know, I've got I've got some of the volumes of Kai. We can do that. Yeah, if there we go. want to like truncate it. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. Uh, uh, this is a very good book. Very good. Very good. So so here here's my question though. I have I have a bizarre question for you guys. So the car that John gets sent off in. Mm-hmm. Is that the speed buggy from that recent yeah. uh, DC Hanna Barbera crossover? Well, I think didn't it show up in an issue of Flash as well, a regular issue of Flash recently? That car or speed buggy? That car, I thought. Yeah, it's not it's not speed buggy, but I appreciate the reference. 
But it's basically the same concept, though. Yes, it's the same concept. Speed Buggy has eyes where his headlights should be. Well, to be fair, we can't see the headlights here, so... Well, that's fair. If it was Speed Buggy, then this becomes the... That's the worst, best thing I've ever heard. I'm going back (laughs) to look at that Flash Speed Buggy issue real quick. Um, You all can talk amongst yourselves. Okay. Um, Which of these changes, Vince, do you think would be the least likely to continue past, you know, the end of the year, let's say? Oh... The John Stewart Ultraviolet Lantern thing. See, to me, that's the most likely one. Because what else are they doing with that character? Like, it would be a big change. Like, hey, Josh Williamson, you got to incorporate the Still Force into your comic now. Versus, no one's using John Stewart right now, so why not just keep him that way? Yeah, I, I don't know. I just don't see it happening. I I just think they're gonna need to. Have him as the Green Lantern and have him referred to as that. And they still could. Yeah, they still could. Okay, yeah, that's definitely not a speed buggy. I'm trying to find the Flash issue where I'm pretty sure that the that it showed up. I I don't feel like it was it was either right before Flash War started. I definitely remember what you're talking about. Or maybe it was actually it was. in Justice League earlier on. In Justice League, yeah. Yeah, there's no anyway, telling. Let's move on to another book that I think we all probably just breezed past, which is New Challengers number four, written by Scott Snyder and Aaron Gillespie, illustrated by V. Ken Marion, five Ken Marion, um, <laughs> very Ken Slade, set him Slade, up, you knock him down. AKA Slade Wilson. Yeah, Slade Wilson. Um, oh. Was it just me or was this issue a total slog to get through? Um, I read the whole thing and um, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I didn't read it. I ran out of steam. Because of my vacation, and I shirked my duties. I, this week, I was the bad boy. Yeah, yeah, you've already read next week's comics. Yeah, they're a lot better than this week's. <laughs> <laughs> they're a lot better. Well, there you have it, folks. You gotta get excited. <laughs> get excited for the comics this? you're about to read on the day that this episode is released. Yeah. Right. Yes. <laughs> did did I miss something? Was it pre-established that like the the um the challenger tattoo clock things gave them super strength and stuff? Did we already know that? I believe we did. Okay. I I just didn't remember that. There's no way of knowing. Yeah. There is that is true. There is literally no way of knowing. Um Yeah, otherwise um I Man, all he needs to watch is collateral damage there a little bit. Yeah, that was the part that felt the most out of character to, or out of place to me, I guess, in this whole issue. Yeah, it was weird. Of all the characters to put in that situation, too, it seemed like there was no reason for that to be Ollie. Yeah, other than the fact that it was in Seattle, right. 
But there, but again, that decision was seemingly made because they want a Green Arrow in it. Yeah, I guess there was so. nothing like it wasn't like it was it at the space needle, you know. Yeah, so exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm with you. All right, well let's let's ditch that and talk about Pearl number one, the first of the Jinx World titles, uh, written by Brian Michael Bendis, illustrated by Michael Gatos. Um, so I. Th- we talked about this a little bit last time, Zach and I. Uh, I I have read a couple issues of Powers, and that's it for Bendis' creator-owned stuff. I think... Uh, go ahead, Zach. I, I don't know if I mentioned this last time, but I, do, I did remember that I reviewed the first issue of United States of Murder, Inc. for Multiversity. Oh, okay. Um... But I think all of us are relatively uh, minor readers of Bendis' creator-owned work. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah. Um, minor. Yeah, we in, need to get we Walt on here much. to talk about Scarlet. Oh, I've read yeah. Scarlet. Yeah. I, I, yeah, Vince, as in we haven't read much slash we're not particularly like fans going in of his yeah. creator-owned stuff. I'm... My thing with Bendis is that I'm not a fan of his creator-owned stuff. I've read some of it. I've read Scarlet. I've read uh, uh, Torso. I've read a little bit of Powers, and I just don't really like any of it. <laughs> I think he's a better. I mean, you know, you know, you know me. I'm like up and down on Bendis to begin with, but I think he's a better superhero i think he's a better big two comic writer than he is a creator own comic writer and even then it's only certain properties and uh like i feel that way about i mean that's not a knock i just think that's what he's good at it's kind of like like for me even though there's creator owned work from grant morrison that i like i think he's better at doing superheroes honestly or or like vertigo or snyder yeah yep for my money sure yep and there's other writers i would say the reverse about that they're far far better jeff lemire is far better in a creator own setting than he is in superhero comics cullen Um, bunn cullen bunn yep um matt kent i would say um but that you know that's neither here nor there so the, the point being is that i've read enough creator own Bendis to know that I don't really care for it. Okay. So so that's where I'm at. And to Did be honest... this issue change your opinion on that at all? No, I couldn't get through it. <laughs> There's just something about first of all, I'm not a big I'm not a big uh uh Michael Gatos fan. Mm-hmm. Um I just don't think like to me I know it's stylized, but to me the art looks unfinished in places. And I don't think like the I don't think if it's a stylistic effort that's making it look like that, I don't think it's really working. Um I think that double page spread with the skull in the middle, it's early on in the comic. I think that's yeah. that's the best looking couple pages, and I think everything else after that kind of feels unfinished to me. And it's just I think it's partially a stylistic preference, but I don't I don't get a whole lot out of it. Like to me, comics 
I don't know. It, it's it's part of the reason why I don't like Brian Michael Bendis creator owned comics in general. They're just so wordy and the art seems to be there to serve the dialogue versus actually accomplish a marriage of art and dialogue, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think that's basically what this issue is. It's Nicki Minaj is the star of, is the star of this comic too, by the way. Um, yeah, it just doesn't, uh, something about this. That's interesting. Putting to me. I, I didn't feel like this issue was particularly that wordy. Neither did I, actually. Well, I don't think it's not it's not overly wordy in like the hilarious Brian Michael Bendis way, but I'm saying the art is there just to serve. Like, like what do they really do outside of that one nice double page spread? Other than it's a bunch of scenes of dialogue. I feel like there are a lot of like scenes where the art is the focus. Uh, I don't know. I mean, if you like flip through it, I'd say about half the page count. I don't know. It's all dialogue to me. I mean, you go through, there's at least like six or seven pages with like almost no dialogue. Yeah. I'm with Zach on this one. I don't think this is wordy at all. Uh, There was not a single page where I felt like there were more words than there should be. Are we reading the same comic? I don't. I mean, look, I I did not love this comic. That this is not me going to bat for this comic in a you know sort of an over the top way. But I don't think there was a lot. I don't think that wordy is. There are a lot of words I would use to describe this comic before I got to wordy. I'm not even saying wordy. I'm just saying like the the page is just. It's even if it's. not a lot no, of dialogue. I, I, I it's just two saying. characters interacting. And even if it's only glances, but all it is is a bunch of characters in some sort of interaction. I mean, to be fair, you just <sighs> praised Batman 53 for doing exactly that. Yeah. Yeah, but didn't I... I said that was the exception. That's fair. Everybody's okay. got exceptions. and I, oh, Even I then, I feel me. like... <laughs> I mean, like, so you've got, like, this opening page with the tattoo. Mm-hmm. And then you've got a few pages. Of, there's like a, two pages of kind of what you're talking about. People looking at each other and talking. A few pages of that. Um, but then we get the skull page, which looks fantastic. Yeah, that's by the, far that's my favorite bit. The next page, which I guess is not really doing that much, although I, I like the tone that it's setting. I love the next page. Um, the drawing? The tattoo? No. Oh, the, um, the so shit? Got, She's pointing yeah, the gun? Yeah that, yeah, that page. Okay. Um, and then every the page, page after that, uh-huh. I really like. But every page after that, for the whole for the whole thing then, is just two characters talking. But I mean, that's just like comics, though. I, but it doesn't do for me... It's not very expressive. I'll give you that. Like right. the style isn't. That's the difference. Not that's the like, difference between it's not Lee like Weeks Lee and Weeks and Batman. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's Nick Minaj I, I, and Steve Orlando talking. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so like, I feel like Michael Gatos is an artist where, when I was in my most pretentious douchebaggery. Like, 
I like graphic novels, man. Like, <laughs> stage of comics fandom. Like, you know, freshman year of college horse shit. I feel like I would have, like, creamed my jeans over this guy. Because I, I feel like it's just... It's, it's a very specific style that I don't feel is... Uh, has necessarily aged well with me, if that makes sense. Like, you know, it's something I appreciated much more when I was younger. But I feel like now it's not particularly my cup of tea comic style wise mm-hmm. but i think that it's a very pretty issue in points and i like how he sort of plays with the medium where you know like the flashbacks of her dad giving the gun look totally different than other parts of the issue and there's just you know it's not the same thing for 20 pages there there's a, there's a fair amount of variety in style there even if the style is all just various styles of two people talking which i get oh, I, I get your point i just yeah i just think that sounds like way too much credit i just feel like i feel like comics since like the year 2000 since we've been inundated with like the, in be- the year 2000 yeah exactly in the in the year 2000 every comic will just be two people talking talking heads i just i i'm i'm so sick since bendis st- like it's the thing that i don't like about bendis's work which is that he ushered in this thing where the dialogue is the thing and again, I'm not necessarily saying overly wordy. I'm just saying like this issue is there to serve the dialogue. And it's a bunch of talking heads. And that's not – that's comics obviously because comics can be a lot of different things. But it's not the comics I want to read. I don't want to read a bunch of characters standing or sitting around talking where the art is mostly just close-ups on their heads and faces. And I think the majority of this issue is that. And a lot of comics, I mean, maybe we're getting better, but like there was a time where everybody was trying to do Bendis. And it really feels like a, a something that could have been pro. There's no reason why this has to be a comic. And I like comics that have to be comics. You know? I I feel like... In this case, maybe I feel like like I maybe like this the most. Brian's in the middle. Vince is, <laughs> is the least. Yeah, maybe. Oh, I nice. wanted to, I wanted to say something really quick about um, just the fact that we have this like uh, this Batman issue, which is the or story that Bendis did before he was a Marvel exclusive and it's Gatos on that and just how different the styles are. I would say yes. like Gatos in this is almost like uh, this may be rocking the boat too much, but this reminds me of like Tony Harris. I could see that a little bit. Yeah. It's, it's way different. Um, can we also I, say, can we also establish that this Bendis Batman story is like the most Bendis Batman story that could ever have existed. <laughs> I, I didn't get. I didn't even get that far. It's essentially Citizen Kane with Batman characters. Mm. Like not oh, only it's Citizen it is, Wayne. It is Citizen yeah. Wayne. Yes. God damn. And Rosebud is the name on the gun that kills his parents. Oh fuck! <laughs> I wish you. I wish you hadn't told me that. Sorry. Oh. Uh... Damn. Yeah. Well, let's close this. Uh, let's close this show out with the Wild Storm. 
Number 16, written by Warren Ellis, illustrated by John Davis Hunt. Um, we get to, uh, we get to go inside the internet this week, boys. Yep. And it's beautiful. I didn't see the intellectual dark web on her little map there. (laughs) Nope. It's because you never can find the dark web, Vince. It finds you. Yep. Something like that. Yep. No, uh, this issue was, was great. It's like the ultraviolet spectrum of the, of the internet. (laughs) Yeah. Um, this issue was great. This issue was really interesting. It did that. The Angela Jenny stuff I thought was really well handled. It, um, it felt like a, uh, a natural progression of where the book is going, but it also felt like a new thing we haven't really seen before. I really enjoyed their interaction. It was the first like purely kind interaction that we've had in this book mm-hmm. where a character was just like, legitimately looking out for somebody else with, for, with no, ulterior motive necessarily presented. It just looked like somebody being nice to somebody else. Although I'm sure there's more to it than just that. You know what I think the something is to it? What's that? Um, We may have talked about this before, and this isn't even that big of a leap, but like, I think we're getting the authority. Mm-hmm. Right. Because mm-hmm. um, now we've got Jenny, mm-hmm. we've got a doctor, essentially, with that other character. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got the engineer, and we've got Jack Hawksmore with Jenny and the doctor right now, right? Mm-hmm. I think, yeah. So I that's, believe so, yes. So that's four. The only people we're missing right now are Midnighter and Apollo, and... Um, what is that other character's name? The one who's basically hot girl. Oh yeah. Um, Swift, Swift, I think. Is that it? I could definitely see this book transitioning into the authority. Yeah, it was Swift. Um, and you know, Midnighter and Apollo are going to come back in some big badass moment. I I would think so. Yeah, I wonder if with um, so this the book is going on a hiatus, short hiatus with issue eighteen. Yeah. Um, I wonder if this arc is about like seeding the authority, or if that's going to be like the way the book ends. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I I think that. I don't know, because what I was going to say was it feels to me like the authority is going to be the postscript to the story. Uh-huh. But they are sort of, Ellis is sort of putting all the characters on the table right now. Or many of them, rather. Not all Right. Of them. I do hope that John Davis Hunt is the one to draw the authority. Mm, me too. I I could almost see new versions of Apollo and Midnighter that are a part of this um, this group that Lynch is tracking down. That's being that's hunting down. Yeah, I, I actually had the same thought this week. Mm, interesting. Yeah, yeah. This issue is really good, though. Yeah, I uh, I think that during the hiatus months, I, I think they're taking they said November and December off. Um. 
bring the book back in January. I think in those two months, I'm going to reread the entire run thus far. So I'm interested to see how it will yeah. read a, like a second time, sort of in quick succession. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, oh, also, and this isn't like that big of a revelation either, but I feel like besides the authority, this also issue is also really like clearly building up Gen 13 um, because this is the second one of those people who have had a child and this um, Gloria character here mentions all the heroes of the 12th genetic stage. Yep. So like clearly the, you know, there you go. I feel like this book is just building to so much and we know that there's not all that much coming from this line. Yeah. And it's going to stay small and self-contained for a while. And we know the other two books are what? Um, Wildcats and... Uh... Um, what was the other one? Oh, uh, yeah, that's it. Yeah. So, it is... It is... It's interesting, but it's also frustrating knowing that we may not see all the stuff we want to see because it is so self-contained. I'd also be happy with this like slow burn of a line that goes on for ten years, but <laughs> who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's it for this week, folks. Uh, Vince doesn't like this week of comics. No, just it is it is bad. I wouldn't say it was bad. Even though there were some good ones. Oh, man, I would say I... this was a pretty a pretty cromulent comics. <laughs> Not cromulent. Well, well, next week is crumpulent, so okay. hold on to your britches. Uh, next week we had Action Comics, Batman Kings of Fear, Kelly Jones. Um, why, why was Bernie saying that? Look. If you don't like the long ears on the Batman, you can get the fuck out. <laughs> uh, get the Tentum Comics, Justice League Dark, uh, Your Precious Mother Panic. Mm-hmm. Um, the Flash. Extre- Extreme Titans. Extreme Titans. And, uh, yeah. There's a lot There's more books. I think this there. this week was good because I got by with reading less than 10 books. <laughs> That's what made it good. I predict you'll skip some next week. Though. <laughs> you're, you're definitely yeah. not reading Raven. You're probably not reading Silencer, Suicide probably Squad reading, Annual. No, I will probably. Is, is it Bogdanovic on Silencer? Because if it, if it is, I'll read it. I don't know. And isn't that Suicide Squad Annual part of the uh, Atlantis thing? Mm, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> You supposedly read the comics, Vince. I didn't read them all yet. You know, this show just turned into a house of lies. And... <laughs> I read all. Uh, I read all the good ones, you guys. I did. Okay. We should turn start a new game where we each guess which books the others read before we <laughs> talk about it. I okay. Pick the five worst books on this list, and those are the ones I haven't read yet. Okay, the Suicide Squad annual is not. Uh, a Sink Atlantis tie-in. Okay, well, there you go. It's an all-new Suicide Squad against the Wrath of Swamp Thing. Oh, sure. Okay. <laughs> all Written right. by Alan Moore. Written yes. by Colin Bunn. It is Colin. The, the Alan it... Moore of our times. Yeah. <laughs> and Ronan Cliquet. Oh, super. Um... 
Well, until then, you can find the three of us joshing around on Twitter. I am at Brian Needs a Nap. I'm at LCD underscore Lounge System. I'm at Wilker Fox. And we'll be back next week. Good night, so uh, a lot of times people are trying to pitch me things. It just gets jumbled over email. So I'm like, just call me. We'll talk on the phone for a minute. And we'll start to work this out. So we're talking. Man, listen to you. What? Why is that funny? Hey, just just call me. No, it's just, you know, whatever. Fuck you. Um, <laughs>